Welcome to the Project Future podcast for people looking to launch and build their own amazing business. With me, Rob Kerr. A few years ago, I asked myself, how can people considering starting a business be confident they are making the right decision? And how can they improve their chances of success? The answer has become my book titled Project Future, Six Steps to Success as Your Own Boss. A Facebook group called the Project Future Club, where we support each other to launch and build our own amazing businesses. And this podcast, where every Tuesday, a business owner shares their story, including great tips about what to do and what not to do when launching or growing a business to empower you to make better decisions on your own journey. You'll find the show notes and transcripts at robkerr.co.uk. So in these uncertain times, if starting a business could be the right option for you and your family, read the book, join the Facebook group and enjoy the show. Now let's move on to this week's episode. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Project Future podcast. My guest this week is Lee Lam, founder of the UK's startup partner. Lee has a wealth of experience in technology and financial services and now helps founders maximise profit margins using smart operational strategies. In this remarkable episode, Lee explains why working with startups first appealed to her, why working in a big business doesn't necessarily prepare you for startup life, why it's difficult for corporates to blank page the future, how startups can disrupt and solve problems quicker than established businesses, why corporates want to invest in startups and how it could dilute your vision, why you need to prepare for growth long before it shows itself, why it can feel like your business is invisible after the initial excitement fades and how to get through that phase, what the best starting point is for a startup, why post-COVID all businesses are startups now and how to avoid the post-COVID trap. And finally, why the solution is always in finding the right questions to answer. Lee's best advice is to get an objective opinion on your startup idea. Let's have a listen. Hi Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Rob. Now, I'm delighted to have you here today and to find out more about your role as the UK startup partner. So before we go into that in any more detail, I'd love for you to tell us a bit about your background and how you got started in what it is that you do now. Yeah, sure. So um, I didn't start off thinking that I had a startup or entrepreneurial mind at all, really. Uh, my university degree was in law. That's what I thought I was going to, to do. Ended up sort of tumbling more into technology and, and ultimately working in banking and financial services in a range, started in data centres and and ended up in more kind of COO, chief of staff type roles. Turns out I like organising people. Uh, But I always found that there were problems that needed to be solved that in a corporation is very, very difficult because of the size. And it means that some of the opportunities that are there aren't really taken advantage of because they just can't move quick enough. And I personally started to find that quite frustrating and started exploring other options and thought initially that I would be a consultant, effectively working for corporates, you know, doing what I do for them, but externally. And it turned out that I went to a few startup events to sort of learn the ropes. 
realized that I actually knew a lot of what startups needed because most of the advice out there for startups is based on how to bring money in, how to generate income, how to raise investment, but not so much what to do with it when you have it, how to control your costs, how to run the business behind the idea. And so realized that actually, even though I thought I was stepping away from my corporate knowledge, there was actually a way of using that knowledge to help people get a a better start off with their own businesses. Yeah, I, I love it. And there's certainly a parallel there, isn't there, in terms mm. of the the processes, the kind of ways of working. And if you haven't done it before or you've you know, had a, a smaller role within a, a bigger machine, if you like, it mm. can be really difficult to know end to end how to run a business effectively and how to make the most of the often scarce resources that you'll have. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we are in a situation at the moment where there's a lot of people now looking at running a startup as an option, you know, almost like as, as a career option. And what you discover is even people who have worked in those bigger companies don't necessarily understand all of the pieces. Um, and, you know, they can fall foul of assuming that they have the knowledge they need because of working for those larger organisations. But normally the the running of the business happens quite invisibly in the background. You know, I always used to say, if I'm doing my job right, you don't know I'm here, which is great, apart from when that then has to be done as part of running your business. And you, you are just not aware of what things have to be dealt with in order to make sure that the business remains stable. It can trip a lot of people up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you make a really good point there as well about the problems to be solved and how it can be difficult for large companies to to do that and how mm-hmm. they can they can make it happen. And I, I think in this space now with with startups, you know, a lot of passion and belief that goes into, you know, the, a founder. And often, you know, these are these are smaller problems, aren't they? On, on, not smaller on in size of scale, but smaller in the kind of bigger picture. But it can be the the one person or the, the small company that is the solution or drives that solution in a way that a big business won't be able to do. Oh, completely. Uh, you know, the, the big businesses, the larger corporations, they have this wealth of knowledge about what the world is looking like right now. But it's very difficult for them to, you know, blank page the future. And actually, that's what startups and, and entrepreneurs are are brilliant at sort of looking at the status quo and thinking, yeah, but we can do better. We can we can do it a different way. And larger businesses aren't starting from that blank page. They've got infrastructure, costs, an environment, a culture that they have to try to shift. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, it's not in their interest to do that shift. For example, democratising some of the things even something as simple as online banking. How is that in the interests of the bank in particular if it means that they're going to drop their branch network, drop their people? You know, there's a lot of different considerations that make it not impossible, but fairly challenging for them to move as quickly. Whereas startups are used to being flexible. They're used to working within the cracks of what's left. And they can they feel okay about staying with their vision and purpose of 
I want to achieve that thing and not get drawn into, oh, but how how does what we are now get there? And, and that can paralyze a company for a very long time. And in a lot of cases, the disruption that we see in industries it is exactly that being played out. A smaller startup able to move 10 times quicker than a company who sees the problem but can't see the way that they can solve it. Yeah, I love it. And I, I think you've articulated that brilliantly. And, and you know, as those startups develop, they either make the change themselves um, and are then copied by the corporates or they're often acquired, aren't they? You know, mm. but, and, and become part of that bigger picture and kind of complete their service in many respects. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of businesses now, the, the larger corporations, are even looking at investing in these startups because the logic is, well, if we can't do it ourselves, maybe we can buy it in and, and that keeps it going because there is this balance. There's yep. the brilliant idea that's game changing against resources and opportunity that the corporations don't necessarily have the idea, but they have the resources to make it happen. So in some cases, they, they sort of compromise somewhere in the middle. And it can be quite a difficult thing for a startup to avoid and not allow themselves to be drawn into that conversation because typically in some way it may dilute the vision. It can take a much stronger vision to go, actually, no, we we need to step away from what's there. And that includes that support that some of the larger businesses may be offering because we've now proven that it's profitable. Uh, it's it's a really brilliant point. So where do you fit in, you know, your business model and where a startup or a potential founder would come to you with a, a semblance of an idea, but not necessarily knowing how to generate it and how to make it real? So how does that work for you in reality with your clients? So I work with fairly early startups primarily because the the idea isn't formed fully. Uh, or they know the idea, but they don't know how to make it a business. So they know that it could potentially be profitable, but they don't necessarily know what business model they want to use. They're not really sure what to do with that idea. So I work with them fairly early on around their strategy and just, you know, what what is it about this business idea that inspires you? What is it that you bring? And then subsequently, what what kind of resources or talent do you need to pull into this idea to make the whole thing work? Where are your customers? How well do you know your customer base? And just answer those key questions at the beginning phase where they can really do with somebody believing in the idea, but allowing them to challenge it and get a little bit of a stress test on it so that they don't automatically get the 100% support. Yeah, this is an amazing idea. You should invest your life savings into it. <laughs> as as a, <laughs> an ex-COO, that's never going to come out of my mouth. Um, yep. But equally, stay focused on, no, this is a really good idea with loads of potential if appropriately structured so that's the the very beginnings of when I work with someone at the idea phase but then what I typically find as well is that I then end up working with startups who are just about to scale or are just wanting to start that process 
So I've, I've worked with companies who have gone viral, for example, and, and that's a quick success growth chart. But then I've also worked with companies who know where they want to get to and realize that the plan starts before the demand. So you have to be set up in such a way that as the volume goes up, you are able to ride that wave. Whereas typically people think, oh, you know, I sold 10 units this year, next year it'll be 20, next year it'll be 30. What really happens is it's 10, 10, 10, and then suddenly a thousand. <laughs> and, and you have to prepare for that growth long before it actually shows itself. And that for me is an operational problem. That is get your business in a structure, in a format that then allows for that inevitable rise, not necessarily a sales problem because it will happen. Um, and with a, a solid sales strategy, that that kind of increase is, is entirely feasible and possible. But are you ready as a company to deal with that level of demand increase? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's setting it's planning for the opportunity, isn't it? And yeah. otherwise, it could end up being 10, 10, 10, 0. And yeah. the opportunity is, is lost if the process and procedures aren't in place in order to, to make it reality. So, yeah, mm. that's, that's a really great point. And, you know, for some businesses that are in a position where they, they've started, but they're not too sure what to do next. Um, I, I attended a, a, a speech, a presentation that you did not so long ago. And you made a really great point about there being a gap between a six month old startup and an 18 month old startup. So I wonder if you can articulate that here for us. Yeah, sure. Um, I call it the wilderness years <laughs> because, <laughs> because we tend to think of businesses growing in our heads. It's very slow and steady. So each year we're focusing on getting a little bit more of the pie and eventually we hit this tipping point and hopefully start growing a little bit quicker. But we keep ourselves quite realistic or, or rational about how much growth there can be the problem is that that's not the way it happens so what you have more is something known as the hockey stick which is for that period between six months to 18 months to two years you actually almost flatline because for the first six months you're around you're new you're exciting you're fresh on the market people are looking at you after six months, somebody else has come along to be the newbie. And so attention can fade from your particular product or service. And you go into this time where it really can feel like you've gone invisible. No matter what, you don't seem to be making traction. People are buying from you, but every sale feels like an effort. And you can definitely through that time think, that's it, this isn't working enough, I, I need to go and try something else. But around 18 months to two years, a different population of the marketplace sees you. There are certain people who are looking for the new, the new businesses, but the vast majority of people are looking for companies that are established and that are fairly stable. So when you're about two years, you know, 18 months to two years old as a business, they start seeing you and they go, well, you wouldn't have survived if you weren't well run 
and had a good product or service. So now my ability to trust that you're a credible business has gone up and I will now look at you. And that's where that that hockey stick, that exponential growth comes from, because people who wouldn't have taken a chance on you when you were very new and didn't really see you for that period in between, all of a sudden see you and they want what you what you have. The key there is seeing you because you are not as invisible as that period feels. The more you stay visible, you keep telling the market that you're there, even when it seems like nobody's paying attention, that's the key. They, because then that 18-month, two-year period, all of those messages, all of that content, all of that, I'm here, pay attention, gets seen. And it adds to the credibility that you're a really successful and, and stable business. So if you're in that 18-month part, you're just about thinking, is it, you know, is this even worth it? Do I need to give up or try something new? My advice is always just stick with it a little bit longer because you may find that you're just on the cusp of getting the demand that you're after. Yeah, I, I think that's brilliant. I really do. And when we spoke offline about it, I say it really resonated in our household with uh, <laughs> with my wife, Trang, and her jewellery business, Kim Zhu, because yeah. she was very much went through that process. And it, there seemed like a stage where she was you know, pumping out content on Instagram, you know, and the traction wasn't necessarily improving. It wasn't really moving anywhere. And mm. and then it did uh, in that time frame as well, as, as you've said. And she, she won an industry award um, mm. and got a lot more visibility uh, from that. And then suddenly, you know, people look back and they see you've got a couple of years of history. Um, and yeah. that's that's all, you know, it's all credibility, isn't it? And it's all it's mm. all being there and going through that and keeping the faith, I think. Just keep keeping the faith, for, as you say, that little bit longer just to say it will get there. It will get there. And, uh, yeah, I think the timing part is is so key and, and really mm. eloquently put. No, I obviously having that real life experience is always great because I, I tell people that that's how it is and sometimes get some quite uh, cynical looks because they're like, no, this is really not working. <laughs> and I go, no, just hold <laughs> with it a, li- a little bit longer. But I think the key is what you mentioned at the end there was the vision, the faith, the belief in what you're doing, because that's what carries you through. If, if you start a business thinking that, the sales dictate how successful you feel, that period is going to be difficult. It's going to be really, really tough. Whereas if you can start each week thinking, this is why I started the business, I still believe in that purpose, I still believe in that vision, that can help you overcome those times where it doesn't look like anyone else is noticing. And I think, you know, listen to people who speak about their businesses with passion, you don't even really get a sense that they're even selling to you because they're not really. They just want to share their ideas with the world. And the fact that they can run a successful business off that is key later. But during that period, it goes such a long way to bring people on, to bring people into your network who can help you continue to amplify your message and get out to more people and, and hopefully that that moment where you hit the right people at the right time who love the fact that you've carried on 
without having that feedback or without having those sales during that time because they want to buy from someone who's got that passion not necessarily the person who has been there and maybe had the promotions and uh, marketing available to them to saturate the market and feel like they're the only option you know we like the little voices of yes but I really love what I do that's what is appealing more and more to customers now yeah, absolutely. And I think the technology is a big help for that, isn't it? In, in the decade mm. that we're going into, uh, some of the social media platforms have, have become kind of established ways of doing business now. Um, mm. And and having that that visibility, that community that you can grow as a result of it. So if, if someone's out there thinking about starting you know, a business in a, a space that they're passionate about, what mm. would you say to them in, in terms of looking at the idea and evaluating the prospect for it? I guess the first question is, uh, it's always easier to solve your own problem. So when people initially look for startup ideas, sometimes they get very focused on what's going to be the next big thing. What's the thing that's going to make me, you know, the next Jeff Bezos and, and whatever. And actually, when you look at the successful companies, they all started with someone getting very frustrated over something within their own life that they needed to then solve for other people. And then as they solved it for themselves, other people then went, oh, oh, you do that. That's brilliant. That's really being annoying me as well. And I want it. And then they get this um, very organic population drawn with them. If you're looking at creating a startup, that for me is is the best starting point because you already are your own customer. So you already kind of know what the solution will feel like for them, which means that you can get the uh, testing done. You can try things out without having to tell lots of different people and which sometimes could confuse matters anyway. But you can get really clear on the problem that you've got and and the solution and how it solves the problem and how it feels when when you have solved that problem. That, for me, is the best starting point for a startup. Yeah, it's it's brilliant, isn't it? I, I can't really add anything to that. <laughs> I, I think it's such a great point and and so valid. And for for regular listeners of the show, I think there'll be many examples on them that you've seen. And uh, another one that's coming up, who I've recorded with recently, um, Zena in episode thirty. You know, she's exactly the same. She re- she solved a problem, or she spotted a problem, and then she solved it herself. And and took that forwards uh, for others and offered it out to others. So, yeah, mm. I, I think it's su- such a great point. And another point that came out of the uh, the talk you did recently that I attended, you said that we're all startups now. You know, in a, in a post-COVID world, businesses are kind of going back to basics, starting again in many respects. So yeah. I wonder if you can tell us a bit about your thoughts on how a business owner that might be listening who's may have had their business for a few years and is thinking about how to move forwards now in the, the kind of new economy that we're, we're moving into, um, how they can act like a startup and thrive in that environment. Yeah, sure. I mean, the reason I think we're all startups is because even if you've been able to trade some way through the pandemic, the power switch is about to be turned on to the economy. 
And even with a little bit of momentum, you're just about to get a surge of everyone else rejoining. <laughs> and yep. and it can be overwhelming. You know, if you've run your business for a while and your customer base is really stable and you've got the footfall that you wanted and you've got the sales level and that has been taken away, it can feel very difficult on how to get back into that. And the trap is to think that you want what you had before. So the, the trap is to go, this is exactly how I was set up before the pandemic, before the lockdown. That's what I want to go back to. Because in this year, the world has changed. And one of the fundamental things that startups do because they have to is learn how to adapt and flex to a changing circumstance. When we went into lockdown, most startups just went, oh, so I've got less opportunities, less people, no money, no resources. Okay, that feels pretty normal for me because I'm a startup. I'm used to dealing with difficult challenges in terms of how to get out to my customers. So taking that flexibility is key. The first stage is recognizing what the world looks like now. So regardless of what your customer base and your environment looked like before the pandemic, what does the world look like now? And then you compare, you say, if I brought that exact business model back now, what is the likelihood of success? Uh, for example, obviously there's a, a huge conversation around the fact that uh, hybrid working now is, is a reality. Even when office blocks open, people are showing in their millions that they want to work flexibly, whether that's working from home, working flexible hours. It's no longer a diversity topic held to one side. It's, no, this is the reality of how people are going to work from now on. If your business relied on commuter traffic, your world isn't coming back anytime soon to the same scale. So if you opened and did all the things that you did beforehand, now you wouldn't get the same results. So you have to look at the current environment and then look and go, if I came back exactly the same, would it still make that same success, that same impact? The likelihood is no. So then you have to look at what other levers can I press, which what other changes can I make that can help adapt to this new environment? So, for example, a lot of eating establishments who relied on maybe that commuter transport and, and customers may now have to think of other ways of delivering into different areas or becoming more of a, a mobile uh, offering rather than set in one place there's lots of different options but you just have to know that something has to change and I think startups do that very well they're used to thinking what does the world look like today and does that mean that I have to change my approach to anything and then they change accordingly so if if you're an existing business and you're wondering how to get back out there and get back and recover what I suggest you first do is, do you necessarily want to recover exactly the same? Does the world look the same to get the same results? It's, it's so true, isn't it? Regardless of industry, regardless of, of, of background, anything that's, that's out there, it's such universal advice. 
and will work for everybody because mm. it is a chance to to make things better. You know, there may have been a, an imbalance in a business before. It, a business may have been too tied to one particular type of customer, um, not flexible um, in, in many respects, or even looking at things kind of on a more personal level. There, there may have been something out of sync that now is the opportunity to to look at it and find the right solution so that the business yeah. works for the individual and for their customers, of course, and, and for their family. So I think that having that full wider view of it, I think is, is, is so vital and, and again, very eloquently put. So, so thank you so much for making that so clear. And so what's the future for you, Lee? What do you see as, as the direction of your business going forwards? So we now really have two paths because there's two types of startups that I've ended up um, working with. The, the UK startup partner path is one of affordable business advice for anyone because I'm passionate about making sure that if you have a business idea that you get access to the resources and the opportunities to make the most of it. And although that sounds obvious, there's a lot of disparity between who can really make a go of a, a new business And who maybe just thinks people like them aren't business owners. And I wanted to bring the the business advice that the larger companies use right down to people who maybe don't necessarily see themselves in that space yet. So the UK Startup Partners business model is a subscription. It's a monthly service. We go through kind of where they are with their business at the time hugely flexible um, and based on the way startups and and small businesses have um, sometimes quite erratic time, energy, money uh, to be able to drive their business forward. So it's very flexible. And all the signs are that, as we know, beginning of of this year, nearly 130,000 new businesses got registered, according to the um, OBR. Uh, ONS, sorry, and that is going to translate into a lot of people who need support. Um, there is a bit of a myth that says that running your own business, there's you're going to make mistakes, things are going to go wrong. It's all part of the experience. I take the view: well, if I know how to help you not lose money <laughs> and not have those mistakes, then I think that that would be a good idea. So I, I think going forward that's looking like the demand is is going up and up but there's also the other side of of startup which is the companies who are definitely looking bigger picture and looking for significant investment the people who know that they're going to have to go big very quickly with the idea uh, have very ambitious growth plans and with those I tend to take a much more specialist approach There's a program that I run that takes them through everything that they need to know um, about building a strategy for everything, primarily to keep their investors calmer uh, about giving them the money rather than them necessarily needing that advice. But that also looks like it's starting to gain a lot of traction because the world is going to be turned back on. The economy is going to start going in June time, May, June time, and everyone knows they need to hit the ground running. So there's it's an exciting time to be here and to get involved with with both, whether it's just the 
random how do I put a grant application together or how do I use my social media all the way through to creating a five-year resourcing plan for the companies that are looking to grow substantially and very quickly. So it's a really exciting time. I'm expecting to uh, be as busy, uh, if not busier than ever, which is always good. <laughs> That's excellent. And I think in that place as well, I, I think it means that if, if you're busier, then it means that there's there's startups, there's businesses out there that are solving the problems that we all need to solve now and that the world needs solved so that's that's a very exciting space and and just to touch on your subscription model as well i I love the way you've got that pause that you've built into it uh because i I think that's that can be so key to helping somebody make a commitment uh, effectively and and it reduces the risk doesn't it around the commitment and and the trust element that goes as, as part of that as well Yeah, absolutely. And it's by far one of the most popular elements of of the subscription model, because as a small business, it's scary. There's a lot of decisions you need to make. Uh, There are a lot of reality checks. And what I found talking to the majority of startups is that they know they need the advice, but they get a little bit concerned about the level of commitment that they need to be able to give something. If you're signing up for these retainers or monthly programs, to get the most out of that time, there's a time commitment, there's an energy commitment, and mostly a a money commitment. And all of those, you can know you need them, but you can also look and think, I haven't sold any of my product this month. How am I going to end up paying for this thing and when you're starting up you don't know the demand you're going to have you don't know what income you're going to be able to generate and so it puts people off to have to think of those larger expenses whereas the idea behind the pause is to say I know that there are going to be months where you are on it you're like right I need to be focused I need to think strategically I need to create my plan And you're very, very focused. And I also know that the next month, life may get in the way. Uh, Sales may not be where you want them. You're tired. Uh, You've had maybe somebody tell you, oh, maybe this isn't such a good idea. You know, it's a bit risky, isn't it? And they've got those little worry beads in your head. And if we did the same kind of support, it wouldn't be as successful and as effective because you're you're not in the right mental place to make the most of it. And it is very, very difficult as a business owner to pick up the phone to someone and say, I can't afford you this month. So I made it a point to put it into an online system that they just say, I'm pausing. They don't have to give a reason. There's no justification for doing it. It's whatever they need to take that time to be able to either get their affairs in order or just get their head in the right space to move forward again. And the feedback from people who have had that is that it gives them, you know, just room to breathe. And they know that the resources are there when they need them. They know that there's somebody else who cares about their business as much as they do and and is rooting for its success. And just knowing that, helps them make that next decision. You know, I get a lot of um, people saying, I ask myself, you know, what what would Lee say about this? What what would Lee (laughs) tell me to do right now? 
And ultimately, almost every single person who's been through the programme and who has paused has rejoined the, the subscription a little bit later on and they know exactly how they're going to use it and it's a really, really effective conversation that we have. So it works because I understand the mindset that it takes to be an entrepreneur, to be a small business owner. Yeah. And it's about being a partner as well, isn't it? It's about being a, a true partner rather than a supplier and all, all of that kind of thing. And it it can be easy to to kind of use those words, you know, it, just throw them around in many respects. But mm-hmm. I, I think there's a, a huge difference between being a true partner or being a, a supplier or a provider. And and I think, you know, the, the way that you've set that up and to build that kind of trust and confidence with your partners, as it were, <laughs> I think is 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 great and, uh, and a great model for, for people to think about as well, just to, to build that mutual trust into things. So, yeah, no, brilliant stuff. And before we finish, there's four questions that I ask every guest. And mm-hmm. the first one you've almost touched on already with your your excellent advice in terms of solving your own problem. But is there any best advice that you'd offer for somebody thinking about starting a business today? This might sound a little bit self-indulgent. I don't mean it to be. But get an objective opinion on your startup idea. The reason I say that is because a lot of startup ideas and new business ideas form around barbecues and dinner tables where people kind of wax lyrical about what they would do if they ran their own business. and. We think that the support of friends and family is going to be absolute and total, but we forget that a lot of the time friends and family not only want us to do well, but they also don't want us to fail. And the likelihood of businesses, unfortunately, is the risk of failure is there. So what they tend to do is they are really enthusiastic until you say, oh, that company I was talking about, I've set it up. And then they worry (laughs) and they worry for a long time. And every time it looks like things are getting a little bit difficult, a little bit hard, their instinct is to pull you back to safety and go, oh, maybe now's not the time. Maybe you need to come back. Maybe try again later. You know, this isn't for you. And that's when you have that objective opinion that says, well, look, the business is still solid. This is a wobble. You just need to adjust some mindset or adjust some of your strategy and you're back on track can be the difference between you feeling like you gave it the best shot possible and feeling that maybe you quit too early because you took some advice from friends or family and misunderstood that the point of them is to be very subjective supporters of us. They only ever want to keep us safe, but that doesn't always help us when we're trying to run um, a business or start a new venture. So that objective voice that you trust, that you know will tell you, yes, this is commercially viable or no, I think I think this has run its course, is critical to just keeping your head in the right space. Yeah, I think that's great. And on, on top of that, you know, I, I'd suggest something around levels of risk, uh, I think, because people's perception and tolerance of risk does vary so much so yeah. what you know and you probably know your market more than anybody else does and without them necessarily having all of the information and indeed the risk tolerance or the risk profile that that you have means that they might not be able to 
so give you a level of advice that will will be helpful and and certainly objective uh, as you say so no i think that's a it's a really good point and safety isn't always as safe as you think it might be <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, as well so no brilliant brilliant point and what do you know now uh, that you wish you knew back when you started your business or back when you started your career however you, you'd like to, to frame it I'll keep it with quite a practical one in that one thing that tripped me up fairly early was even as a small business, a, a solopreneur, a sole trader, a, a company of one, particularly in the legal sphere, you are no longer provided the protections that you have as an individual. And I'm, I'm going to clarify that. So when you buy something as an individual, you are usually under the consumer protection legislation. You can give it back if it's faulty. You can cancel something. If it's a, a contract, you have a calling off period. There's all sorts of protections in place for you. And one of the first mistakes I made, thankfully many years ago, was to to think that that protection was still available as a business. And I took on a contract for a phone line for a company. I thought that the majority of the business was going to happen through the phone. And so I thought, yeah, I'll do that. And it wasn't. And after about six to eight months, I thought, yeah, actually, I can just get rid of that. And you are not covered under that legislation. There, the, the termination clause is you pay for the whole contract, the whole term of the contract. Uh, the T's and C's as a business are hugely important because you don't have the same level of protection that you have as a consumer. And when you're starting out as a small business, I think this is one of the things that can really trip us up because we assume that how we operate as a consumer is the same as how we would operate as the business owner. And while legislation is taking into account that now, a lot of the consumer protection legislation does actually specify that for micro businesses, they will also be treated in that way. It's not for everything and it's not a blanket uh, protection at all. So anywhere where you need to sign agreements or understand what you're obligated to, please read the terms and conditions because you're not treated the same because you're not. You're now a business, even if all you've done is changed your email address from at gmail.com to your domain.com. Well, uh, that's not a point that's come up before. And I think it's a really vital one. So mm. yeah, thank you so much for raising that. And yeah, it can be easy to overlook the small print, but um, but yeah, just to be aware that there might not be that protection there and it, it might not apply in the same way that, that you're used to, uh, mm. that a cultural change, if you like. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really excellent point. So yeah. thank you for raising that. No problem. So is there a resource? So be it a, a book, a podcast, a website, a blog, anything that you've come across that you think would be really helpful for people thinking about starting a business today? There's so many. And I think that's part <laughs> of the problem. <laughs> yes, I agree. There's so many resources out there. The ones that I tend to use most uh, are things like SeedReady, um, SeedReady.org. They do some fantastic uh, information about the, the kind of practical side of starting a business, but also 
the um, how to get investors, how to get ready for your uh, Series A funding. So it kind of covers quite a big range. There's a organisation that's based in Birmingham, but I don't think of them as being a Birmingham organisation at all. They're called the Birmingham Enterprise Community, and they work with small businesses and particularly startups to help them get those those structures in place. I'm a mentor for Seed Ready and Beck, by the way, so I'm just full transparency there. But they do a lot of work on trying to help you think like a business owner. Um, And that's the key. If you find resources that help you understand the questions you need to answer, that's far better than resources that tell you lots of answers but don't really tell you if it's a problem you even had. (laughs) So it can get very confusing with everything that's out there. It's all about the questions, isn't it? Always. Yeah. Always. Because it's your business. For every expert that's out there, you are the expert of your business. So you have to be able to get your head around what are the questions that I need to answer before you go to the resource library. Because typically, everyone will give you a different answer. And unless you can piece it together with something that feels right for you, it will confuse you more than help. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The opportunity for confusion is rife. (laughs) It's absolutely rife. So brilliant stuff. And just finally on the questions then, is there a guest that you'd uh, recommend for a future episode of the show? He always ends up getting a shout out from me, but I will do it again. Uh, A guy called Richard Moore, he does sales coaching, I, I think is the best way to describe him. But I actually think that he's one of the most phenomenal sales teachers that I have ever worked with or worked alongside he primarily focuses on how to use social media to convert to sales now that sounds uh, like it should be every single sales coach out there but it's not um quite a few particularly social media coaches will focus on increasing follower counts increasing engagement but that doesn't answer the problem of do they buy anything at the end of that? <laughs> Which yes. is ultimately what you're doing, doing it for. And Richard always has that in mind. So everything is about creating a community of people who, even if it's not that big, they are very engaged with your work and are potential customers. So you actually do less work, but get better results. So I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> I love it. That's a, it's a great suggestion, and and yeah, those those views, those interactions, they if if you even if you can move the dial ever so slightly, bring that percentage up, then it's going to make a big impact on the business, isn't it? So yeah, mm, definitely, brilliant definitely. point. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much for being so candid on the show today. I think you've you've given a huge amount of value uh, to the listeners. So if people want to find out a bit more about you, where would they go? So I am on social media, the handle for almost everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, not Facebook, because they wouldn't let me use the uh, character is uh, at the underscore UKSP. The website is the hyphen USP.co.uk. And I am on LinkedIn, just look for Lee Lam on the description of the profile. Great stuff. Well, thank you again, Lee. It's been absolutely brilliant talking with you. Thanks for having me and thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. The conversation was recorded in late March and the point Lee made about the taps of the economy being switched on in May and June 
is absolutely coming to fruition. I'm sure we can all see examples of businesses who have adapted and made these changes to best fit the economy as it is today. They offered some fabulous advice that applies throughout the startup journey and indeed insight into corporate culture. Her point about how startups can move quickly to disrupt a market and solve a problem in a way bigger businesses just can't compete with because either they can't blank page the future to see the problem or if they do see it, can't see how they can solve it, is quite brilliant and shows the realities and challenges all businesses have to overcome in one form or another. As you'd expect from someone who's written a book that poses hundreds of questions to the reader to help them find the right answer, I also loved her advice about looking for resources that tell you the questions you need to answer. That approach was absolutely in my thinking when I wrote Project Future, as likely, I believe the only way to find the right answer for your unique business and circumstances is to start with the right question. On next week's episode, I speak with Agatha and Robbie Appleton-Sass on empowerment through digital communication. They have a global focus and have done remarkable things since the pandemic struck to make the world a better place. So subscribe now to get notified of this on Tuesday morning. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep launching and building those amazing businesses that give you satisfaction and balance.